So you wanna watch a movie, but you don't know which. Choosing the one can be a bitch. But Jared and Drew have perfected the art. So sit back, relax, and trust the dark. It's Dartboard Movie Night. What's going on, everyone? I'm Drew. And I'm Jared. And welcome to Dartboard Movie Night, the podcast where we put 20 movies on a board, throw a dart at it, and let the fates decide. What is going on, Jared? How's your night? Night is going great, Drew. Excited to talk about this weird one, this very strange movie. How's your night going so far? It's going pretty well. Uh, I'm also still processing this weirdness. Yeah, I think I'm going to be processing this movie for the rest of my life. It's a pretty, yeah. Uh, <laughs> out there. This is an out there out there movie, you know? Well, and- we stuck to the art house this week. We went back to back on that, and I, uh, I think... I think we definitely uh, left ourselves with two meaty ones to chew on in the last couple weeks. Yeah, for sure. But this one, this one, I honestly think, you know, we were talking before we started rolling about how we kind of think this might end up being somewhat of a shorter episode because there's probably going to be a lot of shoulder shrugging. It's yeah. to not use a better phrase of just like, well, I don't know. I don't know what that was about. <laughs> it was that, was, that was weird. Well, and, and I mean, we'll get to it, but it, there's, there's, that's not, unintentional that feeling yeah so uh so we'll we'll get into that but what made you put this on the board initially because i i remember reading the last few weeks before this was chosen reading this on the list and just completely not (laughs) connecting to what understanding what this was so what (laughs) what possessed you to put this on the board because yeah it's a movie i had not really heard of before okay so I'll, i'll break it down i'll set the scene for how it came on the board Woody Allen made a movie some years ago called Midnight in Paris. And spoiler alert for Midnight in Paris, it's been around for a while, you should know. But Owen Wilson ends up going traveling back in time and, and running into legendary artists who happen to be living in Paris and, and in the roaring 20s. And you kind of get all these breadcrumbs. There's some artists like Hemingway and F. Scott Fitzgerald who become key characters and you know who they are, and, and, and it's obvious. But there's a lot of little kind of side minor artist characters that aren't, aren't maybe as well-known in America that mm-hmm. Owen Wilson bumps into, and we just get a name and some like brief mention. So there's a scene where he bumps, in, bumps into the director of The Exterminating Angel, Louis Boonwell, right? That's, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, Louis Boonwell. And he's like, oh, Mr. Boonwell, I have an idea for a film for you. And he goes on to explain this setup of like a high class group of like high society people have a dinner party and they can't leave the room and then eventually it devolves into savagery and like animalistic behavior and I remember hearing that and I've always wondered like what is this movie they're talking about that sounds kind of really cool and I've always been curious about it and we started forming our list for this podcast I was like I'm actually going to finally do some internet sleuthing and figure out what this movie's name is because they don't mention the name of the film in Midnight in Paris. They just describe it. And of course, it was like a very simple Google. It was well, like the preference, one search. The, the premise of that setup is that he's basically incepting that idea into Louis Bunuel's head. Right, right. Yeah, he's, he's, he's pitching... Louis that movie, has, the the time travel element of that movie is not well thought out whatsoever. The no, implications no. of all their choices are never very clear. 
Yeah, and it's and it's fine because the movie doesn't take itself too seriously. You no, know, it's no, not no, like no. we should yeah, also yeah, add a like, hearty fuck you to Woody Allen while we're at it, just to yeah. just to put that out there. But anyway, the person, ahead. not the artist, you're saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, well, um, even the artist, I, I think, is a little creepy, but I like that movie. Yeah, that, I I like that movie a lot, and there's a couple, of, there's several Woody Allen films that I I really love, but that's one of my favorites of his. And again, I found out that the name of the movie is The Exterminating Angel, and I read a little like a tiny little snippet. I saw that it was very well received, both by audiences and critics, which for me is generally a positive sign for the most part, I would say. So I was curious about it. And I, I was interested in this premise, people being locked in a room. I was like, let's get it on the board. And it kind of became this one we were chasing after for a while. Or I was rooting for, I was like, I really wanted 14. And you were always like, what the hell is this movie? Exterminating Angel. And I'm a little uh, ashamed was, that I had never heard of it until now. I mean, that's that the that's the only way I had heard of it was through this Woody Allen movie, you know. So, but interesting enough, I've since I told my friends that I'm watching this movie this week for the pod, I've heard little anecdotes about other people who have interacted with this story, and it's a little bit more culturally known by people in my generation than I would have guessed. You know, I would say most people haven't heard of it. But I was talking with my buddy John the other day, and he goes to this coffee shop where these people who who do their – it's like a small theater production, and they all just happen to work at this coffee shop. But they do their own plays, really small stuff. And what they do is they take classic movies and reinvent them for the stage. And they just did The Exterminating Angel, oh, cool. which is a great idea when I thought about it. It's like, yeah. oh, dude, this movie would work great on a stage. Well, it was recently adapted into an opera, actually. Oh, cool. So, yeah. so yeah, it's got a lot of flexibility outside of, of film, you know? And I, so I feel like this movie is still very much having a lingering in- impact on, like, following generations and stuff. And this, these actors who do these small small plays in Atlanta, they're all, like, my age, you know? So they're yeah. finding these interesting, surreal, older films and reinventing them to the stage. I think, I mean, surrealism is something that will always kind of intrigue Specifically, I think like a lot of young people, like I think there's a lot of there's a reason that the Charlie Kaufman written and directed movies really appealed to us, you know, growing up and a lot of other like, you know, of our, our, you know, a lot of our friends like it it was fun in college to get stoned and watch, uh, you know, being John Malkovich or uh, Synecdoche, New York, you know, like those movies are like, yeah, like, I mean, those are all riffing on similar kind of surrealist ideas that this is doing yeah uh, so I, I i totally see like the the kind of through line between those things and i can see why this movie would appeal to people like that yeah because it's it's fun when you see those works of art that kind of show you how flexible this medium is mm-hmm. as like getting ideas across and like you can really really take big swings and do all sorts of crazy stuff and for me and my perception, those are not the the common movies that I interact with. You know, most of them are are. There's sure there's tons of metaphors in them, but it's it's tethered to a reality for the most part. I mean, I was sure. thinking a, a film like The Lighthouse is one recently that comes to mind, yeah. that is that is quite surreal and is very kind of also about a bit of a descent into madness, which Exterminating Angel I think has parts of that to it, and has a big sense of claustrophobia. So I do think there are some similarities there but uh yeah, yeah I, I mean i i see a lot of wes anderson in this too really I, i'm interested Absolutely. to explore that a little further what what sort of because i haven't there's a couple there's several wes anderson movies well, just the the absurdity of it and just the mm. general kind of like uh, you know the like 
the comedy in this movie comes from just things that are so out of left field and like very dry, you know, mm. kind of uh, observational humor. And and I see I see a, a through line between movies like this and like Grand Budapest and um, and Life Aquatic and mm. stuff like that. I could see that, and I could see it too with something like. The Royal Tenenbaums or something that's mm-hmm. a little that's also, you know, Wes Anderson and very kind of strange. But so that's how in a roundabout way, that's how it got on the board. But I'm curious. So this was something that neither of us had seen before. I had heard a little bit about it, but not much. What did you did you do any bit of research before diving in? And what was your first watch like for this? Like when I well, you had told me the the Midnight in Paris story uh, a few weeks ago, so that was a little bit spoiled for me in terms of the the premise of the movie. Right. So I looked at the the IMDb. I was like, Louis Binwell. Okay, okay, got it. Um, and that's kind of all I did. I just, you know, that's that's basically the only background. I mean, I knew it was going to be in Spanish. That that was pretty much uh, the extent of what I knew about it. Mm-hmm. And um, the premise is just a solid premise. I mean, it, it like you read that and you're like, okay, that's that's interesting. I want to see what in. that's about. Yeah, you're yeah. right. It's it's it, it's a it's a curling finger of a premise where it's like that sounds cool. I am intrigued. Yeah. No, I mean it's it reminds me of the the log line for uh, Bad Day at Blackrock, kind of like a complete opposite type movie. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You know, but they both have these just catchy, you know, one line synopsis that that just immediately hooks you yeah they've both got really good elevator pitches and they're a mm-hmm. lot deeper than than just what the pitch would be but they've got a basic idea it's like i'm i'm in for this i'm into i'm down to check this out you know for sure for sure um but yeah i mean what did you think of the movie overall what was your reaction i i had a complicated reaction to this one i'd okay. say overall i liked it a lot so I watched it pretty much twice. Um, I was going to do a speed watch today, but it really turned out to be almost a full rewatch of the film with a couple of sections I kind of fast forwarded through. But I, I kind of saw it, I, I saw it by myself for the first time on like, a, I think a Wednesday or a Thursday night and was kind of in the early part of the movie, I was really trying to keep up with who the characters were. And I knew again. I knew I was aware that the premise was coming. I knew I knew where this was going to go, but I thought people's roles in society was going to play a larger role in the story. Uh, so I was kind of spending a lot of mental energy trying to keep a track of. Okay, she's a musician. He's a doctor. This guy's a colonel of something. And I was kind of this almost is like really interesting. Almost, this is going to tie right into how how I watch okay, this cool. too. But go ahead. Because almost like I was looking at it like a like the movie clue or something where there's like right. all these missed there's like a there's a colonel mustard and a, and a mrs plum or whatever right. and and i think um as the movie played out i'm not saying they're the the characters professions and whatever does not matter there are times where it comes up and it's important but i felt like a lot of that mental energy was wasted and i wasn't really just rolling with the movie as much as i should i was kind of trying to keep track of things a bit too much and for that reason I don't know. I just wasn't really on its wavelength first viewing. And I, I, there, there was stuff that I really liked. But when it got a little more surreal and a little more absurd, I kind of was, was losing, losing it a little bit. And then I would get okay. brought back in. I was surprised by several things, that we'll, which we'll get to. And I loved 
the ending. I thought it really stuck the ending so, so well. So first viewing, I was like kind of B minus B. was like my gut reaction. It's like, it's good. It's a really cool idea. And I know it has a lot that it's saying that I'm, that's going way over my head. And then second viewing, I liked it quite a bit more. And which is common for these when we have these rewatches. I end up liking it better the second time if it's just my second time at all seeing it. And uh, so just to, just to kind of bow yeah. it, yeah, yeah, yeah. I liked it quite a bit more the second time. Uh, but it is definitely challenging. It's a challenging film. And it's very bizarre and it's very open to interpretation. But overall, mm-hmm. I liked it. That was really interesting to listen to because I had a similar experience, different takeaways, different approach. Okay, cool. I'm excited to hear this. I started to watch this movie on Thursday and I had had a really shitty day at work and um, just, you know, I wasn't in the right headspace. I got 10 minutes into this thing, started to like have some anxiety and I was just like, ah, just like, I need to put this down. I I got to come back to this at a a later time. Revisited it yesterday morning over coffee after watching a little bit of soccer settling in. We mm-hmm. talked about that a little bit in the pre-show yeah, as well. Yeah, the, the, the ideal old, the idea old movie window. Yeah, you, you watch it over coffee. over a latte, uh, you know, you just kind of like get under a blanket and you, you leave the blinds closed. You don't force yourself to get into the day yet. You just embrace an old movie. Uh, and I had a really great experience. I, I enjoyed the the uncertainty of it in a way that it sounds like maybe frustrated you a little bit. Mm. Um, but what's so interesting is you approached it, uh, trying to interpret it in a different way. But I also did that where I came to this movie and I was like, as soon as they did the entrance twice and from two different angles, I immediately was like, Oh, parallel universe. Okay. There's two, there's two realities. (laughs) There's going to be some, okay. So, and, but then it's, it's reinforced in the dinner scene when they, uh, you know, do the speech, like his, his toast twice. And the first time it goes well and the second time it goes bad. And I'm like, Oh, okay. So these are like two different things happening in parallel. What's crossing over? What, like, why are they getting locked in this room now? Like, but then that completely gets <laughs> ditched entirely. Yeah, it never comes never back, comes back really. at all. Um, yeah. And and I was just left baffled. And it reminds me of the experience that you had watching Burning the first time, mm. where you kind of came to that movie and you had not done any investigating before the the, the viewing. Like in terms of, you didn't look at all into what it was about, what genre it was, you know. So so you kind of came in blind and because that movie is so meandery for the first hour and never really tells you where it's going or even telegraphs it. You're you were just like I, I remember you saying you got to the hour mark and you had to like look into it and be like, yeah, "Okay, dude, what the fuck is this? I, this is I like had, doing a I disservice to, to the, the viewing." Yeah. I had to go to the phone and we were talking about I want to say last week we were talking about the ways in which we avoid going to the phone. But that was a situation where I had to. And I'm normally not so aggressively like, I want to look this up, but I really shouldn't. Like this, the burning, I completely agree with what you're saying. I was like, I have to pause this movie and and get some idea of where this is going because I'm being driven crazy or something. This is just way too much. Yeah. But the difference is 
if you did look up what this movie is about, it doesn't help you at all. <laughs> so you're because this movie intentionally doesn't make any goddamn sense. And that's yeah. that's just the surrealism of it. And you just kind of have to embrace that and go with it. Yeah, and it's just the ultimate like kind of take what you will from the film, you know? And it is just it is it is completely lacking in explanation. And that's what is so interesting, because where this movie was sourced for me, as I mentioned, was that scene, Midnight in Paris. And I assumed that this premise that Owen Wilson gives Boonwell gets tweaked and that there's there's somehow, I thought they were going to be locked in this room in some fashion, or there was going to be some realistic reason why they weren't able to leave the room that Boonwell would have come up with. But that is obviously not the case in this movie. They just literally cannot walk out of the room for like whether it's like whatever it is again completely unexplained and that was very surprising to me again Mm -hmm. i thought like it was going to be like a servants lock them in sort of thing or whatever like and then the the way the servants just all decide to leave kind of spookily and at the same time for vague reasons that's never explained no it's like so much of the movie is left completely wide open and completely unexplained it's kind of baffling now did you did you find that frustrating or did you roll with it i don't know if frustrating is the right word i guess i wasn't turned off by it but there was a it it took me a while to settle into the mode of stop trying to make sense of this thing i think maybe the point it, it really honestly probably took me until the dream sequence with the hand, uh, which, yeah. you know, I, you know, we can talk about kind of the horror elements of this at a certain point uh, in this conversation too. But um, I think that was the point where I was just like, okay, so, I mean, he's really just doing whatever he wants at this point. And just like, <laughs> and, and I just gave, I kind of threw up my hands and I, and I had more fun with it, I think after that. But yeah, I think, I think maybe, maybe my only critique of this movie in terms of, what and and you know i i've said before i hate like critiquing something for what it's not as opposed to what it is but i would have liked to maybe get to the crazier stuff faster it it takes a while for them to devolve to the point where they uh are like killing the sheep and like you know roasting them on furniture uh like that that I feel like, and, and Boonwell himself, I, I think he says he thinks this movie is a failure, which is really, really? interesting. Um, wow. Yeah, he, he considered this a little bit of a failure, and he feels he didn't go far enough. He wanted to get to cannibalism, he said. Oh, really? That's wild. <laughs> and he wishes he had gone that far with it. But um, anyway, I, I think that's really interesting. And yeah, I... I that's my only real critique. I otherwise I had a really good time with this movie overall. I think it is a really incredible film and I understand why people revere it in the way that they do and I I understand why it's on this pantheon. I mean it's I mean it's a movie like it's the kind of movie you go on on Letterboxd and it's just five star, five star, five star, five star, five star, five star. You know, and 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 I think it's in a lot of ways I can see why it's deserving of that. What was it like a viewing experience I want to go back and have a bunch of times? Not particularly. I'm in, I, I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I watched it, and and you know I have this now as a reference point. I, I like. I think it's fascinating, and I can see like all the spawn of it. Um, but yeah, it's you know it's it's not a movie that I'm gonna like revisit a lot. I don't think. I, I don't think I revisit it often either. And it's like those things in life that we all do, and we're like glad I did it. 
glad I experienced it, but I probably won't do it again. And this is like one of those movies. Yeah, and I mean, to be honest, like maybe maybe this is like less of, of this or, or because I, I definitely could see myself rewatching this movie. But I mean, like 2001 for me, even, as much as I love Kubrick, uh, that's not a movie that I want to go back and, and revisit often because it is such a freaking like it's 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 homework when you watch that movie yeah. a little bit um and i kind of feel like in some ways this movie kind of starts to fall into that homework camp maybe less so because like we've said like you yep. do kind of want to disconnect from the meaning behind it a little bit when you watch mm-hmm. it but yeah i don't know what do you think yeah. about that no i kind of i i really like what you said because i was getting those sort of homework vibes and that hasn't happened a ton when we've done these movies um, but it is something that occasionally will bubble up. I was like, ah, this feels like an assignment. I feel like I'm in college or something. And I, as soon as I saw that Janus Films logo at the start, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but um, it did have it. It's a bit of a chore, I think, watching this movie, and and I think that's what it's intended to be. And again, it's so open for interpretation. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. It is a it, it is a little arduous to kind of get through this movie. So much is left unexplained. And we're left to fill in the gaps with so many different approaches, and there's right. probably there's probably no incorrect way to 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 take the film in, you know. Well, let's let's get into Louis Boone. Well, I think this is the right time yeah. to start talking about him because we we need to define who he is as a filmmaker because it it is, I mean, this movie is kind of the most refined version of of what this is in a way. Going back to what you said about the scene in Midnight in Paris and the impetus for putting this on the board. Louis Bunuel lived in Paris uh, in the Roaring Twenties. You know, in in the uh, the what, what I guess what era would you call that? No, I think Roaring Twenties. Yeah, post World War One. Yeah, um, yeah, Roaring Twenties. But it's it's this era of art in Paris where all these incredible artists were in uh, Paris and kind of meeting at coffee shops and and you know drinking and partying and you know getting inspiration for their works. You know, among them, uh, Ernest Hemingway and and F. Scott Fitzgerald and Zelda Fitzgerald and, and you know, all the Gertrude characters Stein. in Midnight in Paris. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, whether they were all there at the same time, I don't really know. I think that movie plays a lot with timelines, but whatever. For sure. Um, point being, he was in that city at that time, kind of in, in the height of this artistic boom. And he was in his 20s and he m- met up with Salvador Dali. Uh, you know, famed uh, surrealist artist. And uh, Boonwell had already kind of started to kind of move in this surrealist art department, which, I mean, the premise behind surrealism is really to not have meaning, to just kind of like have this just be this pure expression of, uh, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm pro- I feel like if some art uh, history major is listening to this, they're like, no, you're fucking ruining. You're, <laughs> yeah, you're wrong. What wrong. are you doing? Um, <laughs> and I know that I'm, I'm totally off base. But I mean, the general gist, than I would, dude, the gist sure. that I get from reading about Boonwell is that the, his kind of whole thing is to just throw things out there. And I mean, especially in this period. So he made a short film with Salvador Dali uh, called, Un, and I'm going to, butcher this pronunciation, Unchin Andalou, which I think is like uh, the Andalusian dog or something like that. It was in 1929 and it's famous. It's a short film. It's like 15 minutes long. It's famous because it contains, it's basically just a series of of unrelated images and, and weird, creepy imagery, basically. And 
there's one particular shot that is still incredibly famous today among horror people. It is a woman cutting her eye open with a razor blade. Oh, God, I've seen that. And yes. I'm sure you've seen it, and I'm sure people that are listening to this have seen it. it. It's still famous. Like, you'll see it in, like, I think there was an Office episode that contained uh, this short film, actually. Uh, which I don't know. I I haven't seen the whole short film. I've only seen that clip, so may, I could have this wrong. But I know that that clip was at least used in uh, Gabe, uh, the character <laughs> that like comes from corporate, um, yeah. and he's obsessed with horror. And he like they they at, for the Halloween episode one year, like they ask Gabe to like make this party creepy, and he just puts on this this video of just like an eye getting sliced open and like food rotting and stuff like that. And uh, I'm pretty sure that that's the same shot that, that is from this short film. Wow. Anyway. Uh, so yeah, so he like developed his surrealist cred around that time. And then basically he goes through this period from 19, like 30 or so um, all the way through to like 1960, like 30 years of his life. He's just kind of like dipping in and out. He's like working in like uh, he's doing, uh, foreign dubs for Hollywood movies in Spain. And he's doing, uh, like he, he got a contract with MGM for a little while and like went out to LA and basically just fucked around on their dime and like, didn't really do shit. Uh, then he lived in like New York for a little while. And like, he just, he just kind of bounced around and he was just kind of like, you know, a wayward artist basically for a long time. And, um, anyway, he, he like gets exiled from Spain, uh, and, and, ends up in in uh in mexico making movies and he this movie he made at basically i think age 60 or something like that but Mm -hmm. this was like his first like mainstream success on like an actual like full like film scale um so this like kind of kicks off a whole new like artistic period at the very end of his life for like the last like 20 years of his life basically where he just makes this and a bunch of other masterpieces that are now like renowned as some of the best films ever wow so he really just closed his life out really strong, but was always doing interesting work. And it makes sense, you know, when you, I didn't know that that eye gouge thing was him because I mm-hmm. had seen that and probably in the office, like you're saying. And this movie has a ton of surrealism in it, obviously, but specifically thinking of that scene near the end of when they're all in the room together and they're like all going crazy kind of individually. And there's mm-hmm. like shots of the people's faces with voiceover attached to it. And there's like imagery of like saws cutting through strings on like a violin and like images of like a forehead of a mannequin getting sawed down. And like there's noises of circular saws grinding away all kind of very much seems like this was kind of a bit of a a flourish of his style that he, he developed really early on. Yeah. But I mean, like it just goes back to the surrealism of it all. Like, I mean, he himself, Bunuel, said, the best explanation of this film is that from the standpoint of pure reason, there is no explanation. Yeah. So, like, it, you're not supposed to reason with this thing. You're not supposed to make sense of it. And, I mean, it was the same deal with the, with, uh, the Un de Andalou, uh, the, yeah. you know, the, the short that I mentioned. Like You're doing it, it wrong if you're trying to figure it out. Exactly. Almost. It's just like, no, this is like, like it's, it's meant to be interpretable. Yeah, and it and it truly is that. And I I saw an interview with the actor who plays the Valkyrie character, who's pretty important in the film and I feel like is the one who who coordinates them leaving the room of like getting back into certain places and things like that. 
and she's much older in life at this point. The interview is in like 2006. Mm-hmm. And she said, like, to this day, I have no idea what this, what the exterminating angel is about. <laughs> and I heard that and it was just a weight had been lifted by, from my shoulders. So thank <laughs> God I don't have to try to talk about what this movie is with Drew and try to figure out what it's trying to say because she's in it and she doesn't know. And it sounds like Louie didn't think it was supposed to be that way at all. It's just like, no, it's just, just take it as you will. It's just this thing. I wanted to mention there are some things I really dug about the movie and also just quickly say how the dart works in mysterious ways. Oh, yeah. Last week we have In the Mood for Love, which is the first movie that we've ever seen on Dartboard Movie Night that has repeat scenes, like back-to-back scenes <laughs> done the same way with slight variations. And then the next movie we hit is the same thing where there's just repeat scenes for unbeknownst to me, a reason I can't figure out. And it's like, that is so strange. What are the odds that like back to back, we watch these movies that have repeat scenes? What are the um, freaking odds? But one of my favorite things about the movie is, is how as the kind of the premise is revealed to the audience, it's a very slow roll. Like, because, you know, you and I both, when we watched this, we knew where it was going. We knew these people were going to get trapped in this room somehow. But, like, when they walk into the parlor room for the first time, when I think the character's name is Bianca is playing the piano, like, there's no there's no fancy grand shot that shows, like, the door frame of the room and is ominous. Just, all no. of a sudden, they're just in the room. It's really subtle. Well, they and, don't even really establish where the barrier is until, yeah. like, 20 or 30 minutes in. Because, sure. like, you have, you're right, because you have the piano player who gets up to leave, and then she's like, she gets to the, the doorway, and she's like, oh, where's my shawl? And then she, like, goes back. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. I wonder if, like, that's kind of the start of this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but you still don't know, like, exactly where that begins and ends. As far as, you, you know, you at even to the point where after the first slumber, uh, I shouldn't say slumber. That's weird. No, I like slumber. What's wrong with slumber? <laughs> slumber sounds so fucking weird. Uh, the it's a slumber first, party. That's what they're doing. Well, the first night after they fall asleep, uh, the waiter is in the dining room and falls asleep in the dining room. So you're kind of like still thinking maybe the barrier is like the front door or something at that point. Yeah. Um, and then all of a sudden they can't leave like the tiny room and you're like, yeah. oh shit, that's kind of cool. Yeah. And when he, when the waiter... I love when the way like I just like again that this information is kind of slow rolled like people start laying down and sleeping and they're just like this is weird right isn't this kind of weird I really do love the first like 30 40 minutes of this where it kind of like slowly builds that stuff yeah it's not it, it was so unexpected based on what I had heard that this what this movie was it's like oh they're just kind of like slowly revealing this crazy scenario and it's not some big dramatic thing that really it, it just is like they just kind of drop information, drop information. And then it's like people, like you said, the woman looking for her shawl and people coming up with these excuses to not leave and before it is fully apparent what's going on. Right. I just I really loved that stuff. And yeah. it was just like it really. And then and then once the butler, once the main kind of butler character crosses over and can't leave, that's when the movie really hits the shots hard and is showing you like him looking up and like, so it definitely hits it on the nose later on, but it's really sneaky about where the border is until it gets to the point where it's really wanting to address like, no, no, they cannot leave. 
and it's just it's just kind of and it's really kind of spooky yeah it and is. it's no, creepy. i mean this this movie definitely had influence on some horror in, in you know after it i'm sure definitely and it really was like i i couldn't believe how much i bought it mm-hmm. like cuz again they i really had, sell that barrier well I know. And I had, again, I before going to this movie, I thought there was some physical reason that they couldn't leave. I didn't know it was literally like an open door and they could not make the choice. And that's the leave. horror of it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, I, I was very surprised, especially on second viewing, at how I didn't fight the logic of that. Right. And I believed that they couldn't leave. And I bought it. And, it, and that's to say nothing of the people outside who can't enter and like the police. Well, I was going to say, they, yeah, that, that was my favorite part of the movie was when they first cut outside. I was like, Oh, I didn't think we were going to leave this room. And yeah. then you see that people can't get in either. And I was like, mm-hmm. Oh, that's cool. I love so, this. <laughs> so cool. And the yeah. guy, when the, when like the police commissioner or whatever his title is, it's like, we sent a full platoon this morning and they just went back to the barracks like they they could not and it's just it's so cool it's just so weird and I love well, and then it. the one guy is like no I can definitely get in there and talk to them this will, this will work and the guy's like you're like the 20th guy to try this yeah another lunatic he turns around and goes ah oh, we got another crazy person here who thinks he can go in there yeah and it's just like and then the kid it's so weird yeah yeah the kid who gets the furthest from any from anyone um but yeah just i i i thought that was so just such an interesting, strange movie. And I love the way it kind of doled out that information and set the stage really patiently. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, it is weird that they're just laying down on the ground. They're not to end. The, but I love like when the first in the morning, when the first batch of people really try to leave mm-hmm. and the butler kind of cuts them off. The butler cuts them off with the coffee cart when he enters the room. And they're like, well, we should probably have a cup of coffee. And like... <laughs> Just like oh, it's because it's still playing with like these these examples that are somewhat believable, even though right. like, and it's just I thought that was when the movie was at its most fun for me. Uh, it was when they were weren't compl- they were seeing the problem, but they weren't really seeing it, and they were still falling for these excuses in their mind of like reasons. I could I can't have a cigarette on an empty stomach. Like I gotta have I gotta have this cup of coffee first, and like it's just so so good. No, I love it. Um... Were there any of the surrealist bits that didn't work for you? How'd you feel about the bear? The bear, I think, especially the, the bear suit. The guy in the bear the suit. Bear suit <laughs> suffered from just suffered from the realities of the time. Like yeah, that was one I was like, okay, it's an old movie. They couldn't train a bear to do that. They used a real bear at a significant amount of the scenes. Sure, but that was the one. And I mentioned to you before we started rolling is like so many times I took notes while I was waiting watch this movie i've never taken so many what the hell wtf like what and the bear the bear to me is the biggest question mark yeah. and apparently it was really a story device for boon Buñuel to like get have something to chase the sheep into the room so that's really what the the purpose of the bear was and people, I guess, have come up to him and told him, like, the bear is communism. The bear represents all this stuff. Yeah, I mean, I just, when they panned down to the bear the first time, I audibly, like, <laughs> cackled. I was like, what is going on? Yeah, they just have a bear as, like, a prank for this dinner party. <laughs> I love that she comes back and she's like, no, 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 we got to stop the jokes. They're, they're not working. Yeah. It's like, wait, the bear is the joke? What? Yeah. 
I I thought the uh, the hand, the severed hand on the move, it was cool, but I oh, didn't I really, I, thought I didn't great. vibe with it really. I was kind of like, I don't know. Like it was a little, a little masturbatory or something. I don't know. <laughs> it was creepy though. I'll give but it was that. creepy. Yeah. Yeah. It was yeah. creepy. Like when I it comes said, up her face, like I was like, oh shit. I, it's funny because you kind of said that's when you got on the movie's wavelength a little, and that's no, when that's I when started. I threw up my hands. I was like, "Oh, that's when you threw I'm, up your hands." I'll, I'll, whatever so, this movie's gonna do, it's gonna do. Yeah, that's when I threw up my hands too, and that's when it lost me for a little while. Where I was like, "Okay, we're in artsy fartsy mode, where it's gonna be, uh, we're exploring these goofy visuals, we got the interpreter." Sure. But it it won, the movie won me back for sure. But the, a lot of those surrealism things didn't really work for me. I would say the bear, the hand. Uh, I did kind of like the 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 madness one when people were like kind of collectively snapping, but it was shot in an individual way, and there were all mm-hmm. these weird things. That one kind of worked for me, uh, but the other ones I was kind of eh, more eh on. But I I definitely again I I liked it, but there were those those kind of more ambitious portions didn't work for me as much as more of just like the strength of the premise of the film. That's what I really loved about it. That's fair. As much as this movie is meant to be interpretable and it, it really does isn't clear about what it's about in a lot of ways, the one thing that it definitely is about is that it's an attack on the ruling elite and and power structures and the you know the people who it's te- it's definitely going after very upper class people for sure. I mean and and the way that like a lot of the lower class servants escape this fate for whatever bizarre reason is obviously really important. And then the one, um, the one Butler character who kind of is more heavily aligned with the elites is the one that kind of suffers their fate. You know, I think that's all part of this, but I think the movie is taking big cuts at a lot of things. I think it's, 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 it's slashing, I should say at definitely power structures and, elite classes of people but also the absurdity of these these groups that people form whether it's the freemasons like there's those there's those, that scene of the masons kind of doing the symbol the sign to each other and they talk about what lodge they're associated to mm-hmm. it attacks those sorts of structures and groupings of people it, it attacks religion it attacks superstition i think it, it, it attacks all of these ideas that we kind of think will save us, but are really just kind of hocus pocus in the end. Sure. I think, I think that's what it's really going after, especially with the fact that everyone in the end of the film gets stuck again, but now in a different room. Like I think it's, it's attacking these groups that we form that we think will save us, but they're not really. Well, yeah. I mean, Boonwell is, is, is a known kind of, anti-establishment kind of anti-ruling class anti-fascist kind of person like that's just who he is he's very he hates any sort of uh power structure i guess i mean like he he i mean there's a reason this movie and we'll talk about the ending too i know you said that you you enjoyed the ending but uh the ending is clearly like also a giant middle finger to uh religion and and that power structure and i think i think ultimately like this like that is inseparable from from the content of the movie because I think what you're watching is like him saying, "Hey, look at these people who are are the ones telling you what to do, and look how quickly they devolve into chaos." Yeah. If if left in a situation like this, when they're yeah. when they're put in the dark, um, yeah. It's it's not it, like they are not any more 
and any less fallible than you are. Yes. Yeah, I think that's I think that's so true. And like we said this anybody can take anything from this movie. Like what I got is like like I said again, you think we think these groupings of people will will like how we identify ourselves are our saving point, but it's really just another kind of imprisonment of not being able to think outside of these ideas. Right. And then we, we escape from this one room and flee to another that we think is going to be the answer. But it's the same thing over again, where we're again stuck in these very rigid ideas that don't allow us to quote unquote, leave the room. And that's a bot. That's a bunch of mumbo jumbo. It's kind of like hocus pocus or yes. Like, yeah. Like, like, exactly. And like, you well, know, it's like, yeah. Witchcrafty kind of, yeah. And there's all sorts of stuff in the movie, like the woman with the chicken's feet, that's all like kind of superstitious. And then right. there's, again, like I said, the Freemasons, there's the church. And then there's this crazy idea that they have at the end of the movie. It's like, oh, if we all do this exact same thing, this superstitious will break the curse and we'll be able to leave. And that's true for a while. But again, they find themselves in the same thing later on. So, but all this is to say, that's just, that's what I took from the movie. And it could be completely wrong. And, and anyone could take something totally different and be, completely correct it's just whatever you take from it i guess and it's yeah. just it it was it was a lot to kind of drink in and, and kick around it's going to be haunting me for a while i think you know no i mean it's it is a fascinating movie like it, i i don't want to sound like down on the movie at yeah. all it's it's like i'm glad i watched it i had a great time with it i think it's a, a pretty fucking incredible film it's just not something that i you know will want to revisit a bunch i think yeah, but, yeah. um once every 15 years i think it'll be my 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 speed like, yeah, you like know. if i had a nephew that i was trying to introduce to like art film i would be like this is this is really interesting you should give yeah. this a look yeah i do i do you mentioned it i do want to talk about the ending because yeah that, let's talk about it I was I loved the ending. And also we haven't really said how much I liked the way this movie was shot. Like we we talked a lot about how strange it is and everything, but the camera moves and just the technical things about it are really beautiful. There's a shot in the beginning where people are arriving to the party for the first time and it's like outside of the house as the cars are pulling up and it's just a beautiful pond reflection shot as these cars pull up, dropping everybody off. And it's stunning and gorgeous. Mm -hmm. In such a small, cramped environment, I thought the camera was always on the move. And it was always making these cool kind of sweeping movements and these interesting kind of kinetic choices. Definitely. So I thought the movie really was shot super well. But one of the things that I really loved about the ending is, you know, they've all escaped. They're in the church. And... I don't know much about Catholicism. I think that's like a bishop or a cardinal. Who is the main the main person? No, he would just church. be probably the pastor of the church. Okay, yeah. And he, yeah, because they do call him father. But when he hits that door frame and the camera does this like slow push in again, I was like, holy fuck, it's happening again. And I was so taken by surprise. I had to rewind the movie. It's a great twist. And confirm that the people from the previous room were in this church. I was hoping they just got done with the long tracking shot. I know, but I was hoping that they had gotten out somehow. And I thought maybe Uh, it was because after they they don't really show them after that point. Exactly. So like the chaos erupts 
but we don't see any of those familiar characters like at the front door saying like, why don't you go? Why don't you go or whatever? Right. Because uh, so I was like, wait, I was like, wait a minute. Are they still, do they get out? Did they not? And I don't think they did. And for some reason, I wanted them to get out. Like, did you, did you want them to have escaped the, the second room or no? I, I wasn't even really considering Thinking it. that way? I just was like, I was just blown away by the fact that he was doing that twist. I thought it was great. Oh, so I, good. It, it definitely like gave me vibes of like, I feel like M. Night Shyamalan probably was inspired by this. Like people like yes. that, that just like to have like a hammer drop kind of thing at the end of their movies. I'm sure Chris Nolan's a big fan of this yep. movie. You know, you know what, what hit huge for me when I thought about it more? Saw. The original Saw. Mm-hmm. Literally, people can't leave a room, and then the twist ending is like it's starting to happen again. Right, and it's like I bet that was I bet that was super influenced by this movie, but just in terms of how much I love the ending, um, I did love the face of the priest, just that actor, very old, kind of gravelly face, and just when that camera zooms in on his face, I'm just like I love this twist. I love the way it is just playing it just was such a good ending i i did think like okay like column of of sheep running into the church as there's like machine gun fire erupting outside is like i kind of wish the movie ended like a few like 45 seconds before that just because i just wish it had kind of ended with people being unable to leave because i didn't know what to take from that chaos at the you end. didn't like the sheep running back in not really. No, I thought I, I thought the sheep were the perfect little like, you know, punchline. What did you think of the fiend? The what? The old school fiend at the end, like the words fiend, like oh, end. I was like, yeah, that's great. I yeah. I, I, I wish I was watching this uh, in yeah. Manhattan somewhere, yeah. <laughs> like on the Upper East Side or something. Yeah, but yeah, I I just was. I, even though I was kind of just bitching about the very very ending, like last couple shots, I loved the twist ending overall and i thought it was really really interesting it was really dark too no really i loved dark it. I, and yeah i was i was a huge fan i was like fuck yes what a great great yeah. little just bump on there yeah just um, a really really awesome so yeah do we want to do we want to talk about any of the performances not re- i mean I just wanted to say one little thing. Um, I, I thought overall the acting was really strong. And it's like our constant struggle when we're watching these foreign language films with subtitles is I, so much of my attention is focused on keeping up with what's being said and reading that I'm missing a lot of the subtlety in people's faces and in the, in the performance. And that's just an unavoidable consequence of not knowing Spanish. There's nothing that can be said with that. But I did notice when I was like able to look up and engage with the performances, they were almost always really strong, I felt. And I was like, this is believable. It's really cool. I like, again, I'm a big looks person with actors. It's really important to me that, that people look good. And I don't mean good in an attractive way. But everyone had interesting looks. They were all charismatic on camera everyone was interesting but i did think you remember that brother character that like really whiny guy Mm -hmm. i felt like his performance was just over the top and just like not believable and and i mean again in this environment that's forgivable but that was the only performance out of all of them that i kind of bristled at Mm -hmm. and i thought everyone else was solid to good you know did you have any performance no i mean i i didn't really like there were no standouts for me uh, even though I do think it was a well-acted movie, um, I, I'm with you. I think the I think the brother was a little over the top, but 
Um, I kind of wanted him to be more villainous, if anything. Yeah. You know, he's kind of just a sniveling little annoyance uh, more than he is an actual villain. But like, I wanted him. I kind of, I, I kind of was wanting like even more out of the 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 devolving into chaos, really, from this movie. Like, I mean, like, I meant, like yeah, like Boone. I said, like the the cannibalism. Like, get that fucking far with it. Go wild. Yeah, that would have been kind of cool. I didn't notice until the second time where people were shitting. By the way, wait, I what? The first time through, I was like, where are people going to the bathroom? Where were they that, going to the bathroom? That room with all the vases in it. Remember that closet they would go into was that one the at one a where time? The, the couple was, like, was hooking up? Uh, well, that was a different... I think there were multiple closets. <laughs> I there would was hope one, so. There was, yeah, me too. Fucking but there's this the one pile. shot of this woman going in, and she kind of t- puts the key in the door behind her, and you just see it's a closet full of vases. And it's like, oh, that's where they're going to shit. And because... And it's just... It's just so crazy, man. <laughs> like when they, oh, there's one of the shots. I'm, I'm a little all over the place, but one of the shots that really is going to be haunting is when the the sheep enter the room, mm-hmm. and it's that wide shot from and the they far close end of in the, around them. Yeah, and it's and it stays far away from like the other end of the dining room. Yeah, and it's just so creepy. They just like swallow up this sheep, and it's just like it is just so kind of. Barbaric, yeah, they're barbaric. Animals. You know, they're yeah. they're they're at this point they're starving, you know, and it's just, uh, but it's just a really spooky shot, you know. I love that shot. Yeah, great, great call out. Well, yeah, what else? What else do we want to talk about on here? I wanted to hit a couple of quick anecdotes that I did get to catch in the Criterion Collection bonus hey. features. I heard this really interesting anecdote that I think really summarizes a little bit of, of his approach to creating these surrealist films is he would just put in things from his life that made no sense out of context. And my favorite one that I heard is, do you remember the scene where they're getting ready? They've just started cooking the lamb and the smoke, and the smoke is billowing, billowing everyone is coughing. And then after that, one of the characters is smashing together like smashing apart a cello to, to get firewood to use. So apparently, Boonwell at the time was having an argument with, or a feud with someone who was famous at the time, but I had never heard of, Pablo Casals. Okay. And he's a famous Spanish cellist. Hmm. And and Boonwell was feuding with him, so we just put this scene in the movie where someone is taking an axe to a to a cello and chopping it up. So he did a lot of this sort of kind of silly choices. Boonwell that, seemed a bit aggro in my research yes, on him. Yes, I heard he was also kind of a little bit vindictive and a little childish and a little immature, is what Absolutely. a lot of people said too. Yeah. Um, but it was just it's just like that is so funny. That like that's how he gets back, gets back to these people is two shots of like someone taking a hatchet to a cello. It's just funny. And then one that's thing hilarious. I I really enjoyed hearing about his directing style is apparently the actor who played the Valkyrie character, and she told Boonwell that like I don't really feel grimy enough. Like we're in this room where kind of like I I go home at the end of the shooting day. I shower. And I come back and I'm refreshed. I don't really know if I'm feeling it. So Boonwell's solution was to rub everyone down with honey and dirt at the start of the day to make them feel just sticky and gross and like really 
just feel like they're grimy and they've been Ugh. there for weeks and weeks. And it's like, that is method. That is really That's kind interesting. of a hardcore approach. I, I liked hearing that. And then one last little thing I heard was the working title for this film, which originally Boonwell wanted to make in London because he wanted to take aim at that strata of society, but they did not have enough money to shoot the film there, I guess. So he had to settle in Mexico, which he was unhappy with. Hmm. Um, but it, the working title was Castaways on Providence Street, which I thought was was pretty kind of hmm. interesting, cool title. I think that would have been also a great choice. But I mean, yeah. the exterminating angel definitely punches hard. But I do like because that first shot of the movie after the opening credits is just the street sign, Providence Street. And it really, you know, with everything the movie kind of touches with about religion and things like that, like, right. I think it would have been a really appropriate title. But I mean, I think for me, we hit we hit a lot of the stuff we wanted to hit. It's just really confusing movie. Were there any things you wanted to to kind of touch on before we hit the wrap up? No, I mean, we've we've really covered everything that I, I wanted to touch on. Um, I, I mean, I. I had a really fun time watching it, even if it, you know we're not like being effusive right now. Um, I think it's more just like this is a movie that you need to have your own reaction to, and you need to kind of just—it's a thing to be experienced. It's—it's it's not really like—I mean, we could we could probably, I, I'm sure, talk about uh, the the thematic, you know, things going on with this movie more, but like really like it's meant to be interpreted and yeah. and i think i think that's cool and and i don't really like i don't really have much more to say beyond like it's it's worth a watch if you're into you know just checking out something fucking weird that and and you know it's only 90 minutes like you can you can definitely breeze through this and i didn't feel like the middle section does drag a little bit for me but i felt like overall it was not a not a slog of a watch by any means. I agree. I agree. It it felt like 90 minutes. And even though there was parts, like I, I totally agree with you, there were parts that bought, that sagged a little bit. I still am really glad I saw it. 100%. And, um, no, we just got a taste um, of film history. And I think that that's really like, always. it's always a worthwhile endeavor when you're trying to like get some more background on like where, where do these movies come from? I mean... We started off the conversation talking about the connection, you know, between this and like Charlie Kaufman and, and Wes Anderson and, you know, uh, people like that. And, and, and I think that like it's worth checking out if you're into any of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's just bizarre. And we could go on and on about, oh, what did you take from, like, remember not even just repeat scenes, but there was this, that strangeness of like repeat dialogue. Like when the doctor says about the guy who's dying, like, oh, he'll be completely bald in a few hours. She's like, what? It's like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He'll be dead. Because he had mentioned to her about her going bald from her cancer like hours before. And it's like, well, there's also mean? like the repetition of the Virgin of La Memor and like stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. And the, like the two different characters saying you look at your best when you're at besheveled, like two different groups of people say that back to back. It's like. Who knows what that means? And that we, you know, we're not on this podcast going to go around and try to figure it out. But the movie is just full of stuff like that. It's like, well, it's up to you. I mean, you're watching it. Like, make up your own damn mind. And, and definitely, unlike any movie we've yet to see on the board so far. And, For sure. And, I mean, a challenging one, but I thought an interesting watch. And I'm glad we've finally hit it. It was one I wanted to check out for a while. But it was even more strange than I was predicting. But cool. Overall, a cool film, I thought. Definitely. Glad I watched it. Um, shall we get into wrap-up stuff? Hell yeah, dude. 
Okay. Now, now this, if I'm not mistaken, it's it's time for a Drew nominee, right? I believe so. Man, I'm between two, but I think I know which way I'm going to go because okay. the one I know you've seen, the the one of one of the two that I'm looking at right now, I know you've seen, and I think we've we've done enough recently where we've seen. One of us has seen the movie. Do you want to mention just what it is, or do you want to wait? I want to Even wait because it, okay. it it'll come back around, and it's a it's a movie that has been on my on my list for a long time in terms of just a personal list, and it's a blind spot that I know if I said it, you'd be like, "What?" Uh, but I'm gonna hold off on that one because I have another one that I think you're also gonna enjoy, though. So it's a movie by a filmmaker that I really love, and it's a blind spot of mine. It's a filmmaker that I've seen most of their movies, I would say. Maybe you like... I mean, they have a lot of movies, so they're in, I'd say I'm in like the 60% viewed range, but but mm. solid. And, and for a big filmography, you know, not bad. But this is one from the 80s, starring an actor that we, we, we both like, and it jogged my memory because we were talking earlier today about collaborations between directors and, and actors. Mm-hmm. The movie is... The King of Comedy, starring Robert De Niro, directed Holy by Martin shit. Scorsese. Okay. How do you feel I mean, about that? I really like that choice because I also haven't seen it. And I know it get it gets referenced a ton due to re- recently when Joker came out a few years back. Mm-hmm. People were always like, it's just doing King of Comedy. It's even got De Niro in it too, blah, blah, blah. People who were bashing it were kind of throwing it in that category. But made me think I've never seen it. And I like that you kind of arrived to it organically with the conversation about collaborations we had earlier and stuff well it's been sitting on the list like i've looked at it the last couple of times that i've picked but uh it just felt right today it felt right that's i think that's a perfect i think it's a great choice yeah i've never neither of us have seen it it'll be cool so it's 1982 it's directed by martin scorsese starring robert de niro i said a lot of this stuff but that's okay i'm going to reiterate it just so that everyone knows what we're watching um yeah it's supposed to be an incredible performance uh I am really excited to watch it when we get to it. Yeah, yeah, I am too. I think it's a great addition to the board. Do we want to run through the list before let's we... Let's do it. Let's do it, let's do it. At number one, You Can Count on Me. At number two, Ex Machina. Number three, Heaven's Gate. Number four, The Big Sleep. Number five, Operation Condor. Number six, The Sixth Sense. Number seven, Moulin Rouge. Number eight, Alan Partridge. Number nine, Days of Heaven. Number 10, Big Daddy. Number 11, Vertigo. Number 12, The Straight Story. Number 13, Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. Number 14, The King of Comedy. Number 15, Barton Fink. Number 16, Putney Swope. Number 17, Mother. Number 18, The Killing of a Chinese Bookie. Number 19, Honor Majesty's Secret Service. And number 20, The Ballad of Cable Hogue. All right, sweet. I'm going to throw this thing. Let's find out what we're watching. Sounds good, buddy. How how was the new board? The new board is fantastic. It's in the yeah. center of the room. But that said, I'm nervous. I can't remember if this is one we've hit a bunch of times. Uh-oh. The dart has spoken. And Number seven. Number seven is one that has been hit before. Number seven is Moulin Rouge. We're doing a musical, baby. Moulin Rouge. Book it. Let's book it. Do it. You're going to be putting me to the test. I normally hate musicals. 
We'll see how I feel about this one. This one with Christina Aguilera's in, right? Uh, no, well, she she may have a small part. I don't know, but I know that she did. Uh, she did like the main the pop, theme song, you know, theme right? song that she did. Lady Marmalade for this yeah, movie. Yeah. Um, but it does star uh, one of my all time crushes, Nicole Kidman. Very excited for that. Also, co stars Ewan McGregor. Um, it's a Baz Luhrmann movie. And I am fascinated by Baz Luhrmann as an artist. I think he is like the definition of excess when it comes to filmmaking. And uh, yeah. Well, your prediction about the board, the new board leading you in new directions was false because that's our third seven. Well, uh, it's now, what are you going to do? It's now tied for the highest number of times we've hit a number with number 10, mm-hmm. um, closely followed by 14 and 1, which have both been hit twice. You know, it's it's so weird because before we started rolling and stuff, I just tested out the new board, its position in the room, and just threw one. And I hit a 16, which has never been hit on the show. So I was like, okay, nice. Now we're cooking. And then it's like, oh, who knows? Well, that but would hey, have been Putney Swope, but we are not I, defying the dart, sir. No, we're never defying the dart again. I, I like Moulin Rouge. I think it's a fun choice. It's going to be so different from where we just came with the Exterminating Angel, which is... You know, we had we had two kind of strange, slower movies back to back, both which we liked a lot. <laughs> in the mood for love. Also, going to be strange, but the opposite of slow yeah. paced. But I'm in the mood for like some energy and some yeah. thunder. This so is I think be it's fun. This will be a nice. I think the dart is steering us in a fun yeah. direction here. Regardless of the repetitions of seven, I think this is a good choice for this week. I feel I feel good about it, and I'm glad we're we're sticking with the dart again, trusting the dart once again. I think you owe Mark Ruffalo an apology for uh, reneging on your number one hit last week. What was that? You can count on me. Oh, yes, I do. Uh, Sorry. Sorry, Mac. You'll be all right. I think we need to end every episode by apologizing to Mark Ruffalo until Until we we hit number one. Until we hit number one. I'll I'll do that. I'll say say I'm sorry to, to Mark every time. Well, with that, I think we can wrap it up on this episode. Uh, That was The Exterminating Angel, and next week will be Moulin Rouge. Let's go. Let's go. Love it, dude. The Rouge. All right. Uh, That'll do it for us tonight. We'll see you next week. Sorry, Mike. (laughs) (laughs) Now you can do your later. Later. Thank you so much for listening. Please remember to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. If you want to keep in touch or if you have a bullseye selection you want to send our way, drop us a line at dartboardmovienight at gmail.com. If it's for the bullseye, make sure you use subject line bullseye confidential. Follow us on Instagram at dartboardmovienight. Artwork for the show is created by Veronica Roman. And all of our music is by Eric Williams. Play us out, Eric. Eric.